Episode of the High Motor Podcast. Andrew Dowdy, Chase Kitty coming off of Monday's episode. A lot of Big 12 talk we had there, a lot of Iowa State talk, ACC, a brief look ahead to week three, and 23 games now coming in week three. Still a massively weak schedule compared to what a normal week three would look like in a normal season, but so far the heaviest slate of games that we've had thus far this season. I think we had 21 last week, now 23 coming this week. For those of you who did not listen to the show, Last year during the season, these midweek Thursday episodes are shorter, usually going to be in the ballpark of 20, 25, 30 minutes, heavy on betting. Chase Kitty here doing his civic duty, offering free betting tips to crush each week. This week to start, though, briefly, we're going to get way more into this topic next week on Monday's episode because it's a much bigger discussion than a brief intro could give it. The Big Ten season slated to start now in late October playing eight games in eight weeks, conference championship slated for, I believe it was December 19th. And you and I were kicking around some very initial thoughts on this when this broke earlier today, some big picture thoughts, uh, all of which we're going to dive into on Monday's episode, along with some other notes after week three. But before we hop into some betting stuff, I want to touch on a couple of those big 10 pieces as we kind of get our initial reactions here. Do you remember when we did the show? After the Big Ten, I think it was in early August, after the Big Ten announced a conference-only season, and we essentially asked, is this really that big of a deal? We we admitted, yes, it's big in the context of college football because we've we've never seen this type of mass cancellations in sports history, but looking at the actual things that we were losing, yes, it sucked to lose like Ohio State against Oregon, uh, Michigan against Washington, all of those premier non-conference games but what are we really losing here are we actually losing two games and you made the good point well it's actually like one game or zero games depending on who you were scheduled to play because of those cupcake games because now you're not suddenly playing Akron or Miami of Ohio does that really matter that much now a month and a half later we're down to eight conference games and sure same kind of deal there it's significant for teams who are actually good, and if you lose one of those teams on the schedule, but are we going to learn almost as much about, I mean, we're talking playoff here, big picture. It is Ohio State. That's all we're going to talk about in the Big Ten. Could another team make it? Could Penn State make it? Could Michigan make it? Could Wisconsin make it? Yeah, I'm sure. I guess they could, but the entire playoff conversation in the Big Ten focuses on Ohio State, and I think that we're going to learn just as much about Ohio State, maybe not like 100% as much, but pretty damn close in an eight-game schedule as we would in a 12-game schedule, right? I mean, what are we really losing here? I think there's two conversations if you're going to talk specifically about the Big Ten and the playoff and the eight-game schedule. In that framework, you're talking about Ohio State and you're talking about everybody else. If you're looking at Ohio State, if they go 8-0 and and they look awesome, they're probably in, right? Don't overthink it. If they're 8-0 and they're awesome and then they win the Big Ten title game, they're probably going to be in the field. So there's that. And that's because we know what we're getting with Ohio State. Like like we've talked about before, if you want to make the playoff, it's it's kind of the, the 
antithesis of winning the Heisman. Like, if you want to win the Heisman, you almost have to have no expectations and break onto the scene. That's that's what we've seen the last few years is you have to have something splashy going for you in September. If you want to make the playoff, you almost have to be an established commodity really fast because it's hard to sneak up there into the top four at the last minute. So with Ohio State, we know what we're getting. They have an established reputation. If they're 8-0 at the end of this, if they win the Big Ten and they're undefeated, or even if they have one loss and it's, you know, it's, it's a good loss and it's close, and we still feel like we trust them, they're in. Period. On the other hand, I feel like the compressed schedule is going to make it really hard for anybody else in that conference to have a real shot. Because now you have a shorter runway to try to prove that you belong. And it's just, it's too much public opinion working against you. It's too much of all this other stuff in your way to now not only beat Ohio State, but clear all these other hurdles from these other conferences that it's, it's not like the game that they've already played matters that much. I think it's more about the public perception of these, these people are coming late to the dinner table. And now they want to be taken seriously as equals. And I think some people mentally are going to have a hard time with that. And we'll see what happens with the scheduling coming up here. But the Big Ten unbalanced divisions and unbalanced schedule gets a lot of attention as is. I mean, a lot of teams from the West might miss Ohio State and Penn State in a year. Or they might miss all three teams. They might play all three teams. Now with eight games, you're going to be playing your six divisional games. You're only going to get two cross-divisional games, which are going to be extremely unbalanced. I mean, for example, Wisconsin might get both, depending on how you like the East, they might get both Michigan and Ohio State, or they might get both Ohio State and Penn State, or Penn State and Michigan, whereas another contender in the division, whether that you like Minnesota, whether you like Iowa or somebody else, they might get one or they might get neither. So all the attention that we're giving into these schedules, these unbalanced nine-game uh, conference schedules normally, that's going to be magnified quite a bit. Going back to the last thing before we get into betting here, I've heard a few people kick around. Not even, I don't even know if it's necessarily their stance. It's more of a question. Or they're saying, is eight games really enough for the college football playoff? Because if that does happen, and barring any sort of cancellations across the Big 12, uh, across the SEC, ACC, and then if you want to talk American – Playing eight games will be on the lower end, if not the lowest, of any college football playoff contender, and then plus the conference championship game. So I've heard some people say, is that enough to make the playoff? I personally think that's ridiculous. I mean, if they're playing five or six games, we can have that conversation. But like I said before I asked you that question, I don't know what more we're really going to learn about a team like an Ohio State, or maybe it is Wisconsin that goes 9-0, and that we wouldn't learn about them in a 12-game season when you're not playing like Akron or Utah State or FAU. I think that eight games isn't ideal, but it's still plenty. It's not like the SEC is playing 12 conference games, or it's not like the, the Big 12 has a full 12-game schedule. I don't see that big of a difference. Therefore, I don't see any issue why, if logistically the playoff can work, which We'll probably get into more on Monday how that would work with scheduling. They're not leaving themselves that much margin for error and cancellations with the Big Ten. I don't see why eight games would be a problem at all. Do you? I don't. I wouldn't use as strong as language as you just used, though. About like I, I wouldn't say that I think it's ridiculous. I the thought that it's not enough, even though if you really sit down and look at the difference between what a normal schedule is and then eight Big Ten games plus a conference championship game. 
Substantively, there's not a lot of difference there. I think it's something about the math and the number in our head that eight sounds so much smaller. Like eight is barely more than six. And six is like the the minimum number of wins you need to go to a bowl game. So I think there's some kind of psychology thing at work there, kind of like I was talking about earlier. I, I think it's more of a mental thing than a substance thing. That's a good point because let's say that Ohio State or whoever from the Big Ten is seven and one going to the conference championship game. We're talking about being seven and one. If I have had my scheduling correct, I think that last Saturday of the Big Ten's regular season would be December 12th. It's that second week of December. So depending on when the playoff rankings come out, let's say Ohio State is 7-1 and one going into the conference championship game against a 7-1 and one Wisconsin or Minnesota or whoever. We're going to be sitting here on December 12th or 14th, whenever the playoff rankings come out on that Tuesday, with Ohio State and or Wisconsin as like number five in the playoff rankings with a seven and one record next to them one week to go with the conference championship game when normally we're expecting to see in December we'll even push it back two weeks and say going to the conference championship game normally would be early December 11 and one next to their name or even 10 and two at the absolute worst I think you're right there at seven and one that does look kind of weird doesn't it yeah and I think like, I think Ohio State's probably a better team than most other teams in college football. So, like, put them up against maybe Oklahoma State, who, who I've said several times in this podcast, they're my favorite to win the Big 12 this year. Say Oklahoma State is 10-0 and going into the Big 12 championship game. I think that's, I, I'd say based on the Big 12 and how it usually plays out, that's unlikely. But let's say that they are. 10-0 and Oklahoma State versus 7-1 or 8-0 Ohio State, it just feels like a big gap mathematically. Even though I think even in your best case scenario, you probably don't think Oklahoma State is a better team than Ohio State. So there is a weird mental disconnect, I think, with some of these numbers. And you're really going to have to put aside those implicit biases, I think, when you're going to compare these teams because it, this is going to start to look a little bit like early season college basketball, I think, where you have some teams that are like 2-0, and but they're ranked because they started at the preseason poll ranked. And then you have other teams that played like a really heavy November schedule, and they're like 9-0. and And you're supposed to compare those two teams? I think there's going to be a little bit of that maybe in this season now for football. I'm excited for Monday's episode now. I was already before because I think that we have some interesting week three stuff to react to and this Big Ten stuff to talk about. But I think even in this, I don't know what we've been talking about for like seven or eight minutes here, I think there's a lot that came up that we need to dive further into. But we're going to get into some betting stuff now. And I want to start somewhere that we kind of began the conversation on Monday, a different part of this conversation with Georgia Tech, UCF, that game in Atlanta. And heads up here for those listening, we're talking here on Wednesday night. So the numbers that we reference whether it's Chase or I, are coming from Wednesday uh, in case you're seeing different numbers on Thursday, Friday, or Saturday as you listen. Starting with Georgia Tech hosting UCF, the first game of the year for UCF. They're looking for the fourth 10-win season. And I was making notes here, fourth straight 10-win season, excuse me. As I was making notes here, I was looking back at the most wins among FBS teams over the last three years. And we know, everybody knows that UCF's had a nice run here. So 2017 to 2019. Before we get into odds, one very specific question I have for you about this game. 
Where do you think UCF ranks in total FBS wins over the last three years? God, you love these questions. I um, love these questions because there's a the, the one here is interesting with UCF because there's, there's a perception a perception they've been so good the last three years, but how many teams are actually ahead of them? Okay, so the last three years, the year they have they, four losses. I'll give you that they have four right. total losses over the last. Three I knew years. it wasn't a lot. I, the year they beat Auburn was the was that was a strong year and then after that they they've gotten a lot of they've gotten a lot of credit and maybe that's maybe it's just a bit too much credit um I still think they have a lot of wins though so in terms of just raw wins I would guess that it's pretty high uh top I'd say top top 20 oh much higher than that I thought you were going to go like top 5 they're 6th so they're 35 and 4 over that time. They're only behind, only behind Clemson, Bama, Ohio State, Georgia, and Oklahoma. Even with LSU's season last year, they're still ahead of LSU. They're still ahead of any other team from the Big Ten, any other team from the Big 12, and any other G5 team. Yeah. So as much as we shit on how UCF handled that national championship game, they're sixth. They've behind won a lot only of games. Yeah. Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, and Oklahoma. That's unbelievable. Now, I, I think they're on the way down like I, I don't think they have momentum going for them I think they're trending down but that that even sounds more negative than I mean it to I just mean relative to 2017 they're they're lower than that right now there's still a really good g5 team you, you know we we had the argument a few weeks back when we were doing the neighborhoods uh series about like hey is is UCF the best g5 program right now and you can make that case it's not hard to make so let's keep the negative train rolling the perceived perception of Florida State after now these two and a half to three pretty shitty years, the perceived perception of Florida State by odds makers, does that come into play, do you think, in setting this line for Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech UCF one week after Georgia Tech won that game? And do you believe the actual perception of the public can move this line? Talking specifically about Florida State here. Uh yeah, so this is something we talked about in the last episode about how much of this was Georgia Tech being better and how much of this was Florida State sucking. When I look at this UCF line, and UCF is a road 7.5-point favorite, what I see when I look at that number is the books are daring you to take Georgia Tech. They are saying, we're going to give you the home team, and we're going to give you the hook. We dare you to pick it. Because they, it, I, I, this is how I'm reading this line. They think UCF's going to cover. That's how I'm reading this. So if they think UCF's going to cover and they want to be on the favorite side of things, that tells me they don't think Florida State's very good. And that Georgia Tech win was more about Florida State being bad than Georgia Tech being some newfound power in the ACC. Where do you think, I don't know if you have this pull up in front of you, where do you think most betters are going with this game? Uh, From what I saw earlier, you're right, I don't have a pick pulled up. But from what I saw earlier, there was more uh, there was more tickets and more money on Georgia Tech. What does that tell you? Again, going back to Florida State and the perception of Florida State, and we'll see kind of where that lands here in the next three days. What does that tell you about where the public is perceiving Florida State to be at right now? Uh, well, it I don't know that it tells me much about that. I think what it it tells me is that betters think Georgia Tech is good. Uh, I, I don't know that maybe betters are don't have enough information to form 
a, a strong opinion about Florida State, but it does tell me that they believe in Georgia Tech a lot more this week than they did last week. So that's why they're betting Georgia Tech as a home dog. And one of the rules that I have, I've talked about on this podcast a ton, and in my column and everywhere I can, is I, I do not like public dogs. I, I don't like underdogs that are getting the majority of money or get or not the majority of money, but the majority of tickets. So I would be very careful about betting Georgia Tech against UCF this week because it just feels like that's what they want you to do. And that is what a majority of people are doing. And that would make me nervous. This would be a stay away from me with a lean on UCF. I want to get more to stay away games in your best bets in a second. But first, a strategy question that we didn't get to. I think it was last week when you generally talked about what you learned in week one from college football and how you can use that moving forward. We didn't talk about parlays last week. You've talked a lot about your strategy with parlays in the show in the past for the last couple of years. Obviously, this is a different ball game this year. Is your parlay strategy changing at all early this season, knowing all the different variables at play here? Yeah, in September, it definitely was a little different uh, and, and continues to be a little different just because of what games are available. Uh, something that I think is linked to this, and I'm going to circle back to an answer to that question in a second, but I think it's important to say first uh, another thing that we didn't get to last week, which is betting volume. There are a lot of games off the table right now that would have existed if coronavirus had never happened, right? If the average Saturday in college football has, let's say, I don't know, 50 to 60 FBS games, and you want to bet four to six of them, like you're betting about 10% of the available games. You don't want to bet half of all games. Like that's dumb. That's a good way to lose money. You want to pick your strongest prospects and keep it under a certain percentage of the overall handle. Uh, so when you look at how many games are available right now, it's significantly less than what it would be. You don't want to bet the same amount of games that you would in a normal season. Like you want to reduce the amount that you're gambling on because now if you bet six games, you might be betting a third of all FBS games and that's not something you want to do. So you want to be a little bit more picky with your spots this year. How does that connect to the parlay question? I think what we're seeing, especially these first couple weeks of September is a whole lot of just absolute mismatch games with huge, huge money line numbers, minus 10,000, minus 40,000. So the parlay game is really, really difficult right now. I think the only viable strategy is keep your wager amount small and just stack up as many of these huge favorites as you can. Ignore all those early conference games, just a whole lot of Oklahoma State, Tulsa, stuff like that. Just stack all those up. Payoff's not going to be very good, but whatever. Get what you can get. Keep your uh, keep your bet amount small and just keep it moving. Let's look more at some individual games. You mentioned Tulsa, Oklahoma State. Uh, I'm seeing right now Oklahoma State minus 22, minus 23, 23 and a half uh, at various books. We also have some conference games, Syracuse, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, uh, it looks like that's a huge line here. I'm not sure if this is an error, but Bavada has that at Minus six and bet online has that minus 21. What's the right number there? Do you know? Uh, what I've seen, I saw Pitt open at minus 21 and a half. Yeah, I don't know. That must be the wrong line for Bavada. Yeah, so Pitt at 21, 21 and a half. 
Uh, Navy Tulane, interesting G5 game. Duke Boston College, Houston Baylor. We mentioned that uh, as a game that was just scheduled. Let's start with that one, actually. A game that was literally just scheduled. Do you want to stay away from that because you don't have a whole lot of information because that game was literally just scheduled, or is there no impact on that at all? Yeah, I, I just don't like that game. Uh, I, I, it's a conference game. I don't really know what to do with Boston College. New coach. Duke kind of, I, I don't know what to make of how they played against Notre Dame. I just don't really have any sort of entry into that game. So that's, I just don't have an angle on it. I'm staying away from that. What are your other stay away games this week? Uh, you mentioned Oklahoma State Tulsa. And really the only way I want to play that is if it's in some kind of parlay where I'm smashing a bunch of big favorites together to try to get something close to plus 100 odds. I mean, it's, it's maybe, maybe the under might be worth a look. But just a number that big, I want to see Oklahoma State play first. I don't really know what to do with Tulsa. I'm pretty sure, I don't have it in front of me, but they were, I think, 4-8 and eight last year, and they don't bring back a ton of production. So that could be a bloodbath, but am I going to lay, you know, three and a half touchdowns in a game that I don't know how much either team's going to care? Like, probably not. That doesn't seem very smart. So there are way too many other good numbers that I like this week to be looking at trying to make a spread play on that. What are those good numbers? We spent a decent amount of time last week talking about how much there are so many big numbers out there. Uh, again, this week, North Carolina 29, 29 and a half, depending on where we're looking over Charlotte. Clemson, obviously big over the Citadel, if it's even offered, 44, 44 and a half. Some more mid-range ones, uh, SMU 14 on the road, North Texas. Uh, then a couple of more here. Where are your, your best bets for this week? Yeah, so I think looking at a lot of the spreads this week, the name of the game for week three is going to be overreactions. So there has been a lot of spread movement and it is all in line with reactions from games over the last couple of weeks, mostly last week's games. So like looking at, for example, uh, Georgia State playing Louisiana. Uh, Louisiana after the win at Iowa State, they are now laying 17 points on the road going against Georgia State. That's Georgia State every time. I mean, that's that's just gambling fundamentals. You had a team that was good, that we acknowledge is good. We still think they're good. But now it is a way overinflated price. This is a letdown spot. They're going to go on the road and lay two touchdowns and a field goal. You're, that's just classic sharp gambler. We're going against that. We're betting Georgia State. Uh, I've, I've seen, uh, let's see. Southern Mississippi going against Louisiana Tech. Southern Miss opened at three and a half. This isn't necessarily an overreaction. It was just a, just an odd line. Southern Miss opens at three and a half over Louisiana Tech, who has generally been pretty good. Very strange line uh, that makes me want to look at Southern Miss. Uh, makes me think that they want me to bet Louisiana Tech, so I'm going to look at the other side. And then, of course... Pro movement has come in on Southern Mississippi for that exact reason. So that line has now gone from three and a half to five and a half. If I get it before it goes to six, I still feel semi comfortable because that three and a half, four and a half, five is sort of no man's land. Like, uh, statistically, most games don't end there. So if you're going with three and a half, uh, there's not a huge difference in terms of game log, uh, from three and a half to five and a half. Uh, you just want to get it before it goes to six. Uh, let's see some other ones. Uh, you had 
uh, tweeted at me earlier today, our friend Thor Nystrom was tweeting about the ridiculous line movement between Florida Atlantic and Georgia Southern. Yes, yes. Uh, Florida Atlantic opens at minus six. And then in the span of about 24 hours, maybe even a little less, it goes all the way to Georgia Southern minus one and a half. That, to me, that kind of insane line movement, you stay away from that. Because that, what is most likely the case there is that somebody knows something that you don't. So somebody at Florida Atlantic caught, I, I'm guessing, I'm speculating, I want to make that super clear, but what my first thought was was that somebody in the Florida Atlantic program tested positive, it's spread around, somebody's not going to be available, multiple key players not going to be available, the, you know, the offensive line nightmare scenario we've referenced 50 times on this podcast, something like that I would think may have happened, and somebody that's a sharp gambler finds that out, tells one or two close friends, hey, I have this info, you might want to hit this. They hit five or six books on the way out of town, and then the next thing you know, the line's moved eight points. That's the only thing I could think of that would move a game that is that far off the radar is some kind of weird insider information like that. How, do, how often does that happen? I think when I tweeted at you, you mentioned the 2018 Camping World Bowl, I think. Is this extremely rare like a once a year kind of thing once every couple of years where it's going to move what seven and a half points in 24 hours yeah it's pretty rare I, I referenced that game and of course uh, I think our regular listeners know I'm a West Virginia guy and what that game was that was uh, West Virginia playing Syracuse and you saw the line just start to drastically move I think West Virginia was minus 10 and then like the next morning Syracuse was plus or Syracuse was minus two like something ridiculous like that and what people had found out was Will Greer wasn't going to play, that he was going to set out the bowl game. And then the next thing you know, the line completely shifts. And for the most part, I'm going to recommend against people betting a game after it's moved 12 points, especially if you're coming in on this, like what would be the Syracuse side of that, where you could have gotten them at plus 10 and now you're getting them at minus two. That's just a massive loss in value. But in that case, you had to bet Syracuse. There, it was so obvious that they were going to win that game at that point, and they won by like 40. So uh, in, in in general, stuff like that, unless you are the lucky guy that's in the know that knows something that nobody else does, you just stay away from that. You, I, I don't want a piece of that. I don't know what's going on. It seems weird. Georgia, Georgia Southern's good in the first place. I would want to be on the Georgia Southern side of that, but that's just way too weird. I don't really want to get involved in that. And then I got one more for you, and eh, maybe even two more. Uh, Charlotte. We saw what Charlotte did uh, with uh, with App State last week. Uh, the the Wheel Healy hype on this podcast continues. So Charlotte now is playing North Carolina. I don't know. I'm guessing a lot of people didn't watch North Carolina Syracuse last week. That was a game that was seven to six halfway through the third quarter. And North Carolina comes out and lights them up in the fourth quarter and, and kind of makes that score look a lot less competitive than it actually was. But that was a one-score game into the fourth quarter. So not a super impressive opening you know, volley from North Carolina. And now the line against Charlotte, who we know is scrappy and is, is generally going to stay competitive, uh, it opens at 26.5. It moves up now to 29.5. So now you're north of four touchdowns. That's Charlotte any day of the week. Give me Charlotte. Give me the 30 points. 
we're gonna we're gonna roll with them. That's easy. I don't have to think yeah, about. Yeah, I have that. a really hard time seeing that game being like a forty-two to ten. Yeah. I can't see that at all. That's yeah, that's really hard to see. So that that line just seems flat out wrong to me. I mean, th- there's there's nothing to suggest if you watched the games. There's nothing to suggest that that game will will be that non-competitive. And that doesn't mean just like this is something I I had to explain to people last week. I came out and said. You are a crazy person if you bet West Virginia minus 44 and a half over Eastern Kentucky. Like there is absolutely no defensible reason to do that. And then West Virginia gets a late, late, late score and they cover that 44 and a half number. And I had people in my DMs like, told you, bro, go Mountaineers. You're not a real fan. Like, okay, just because you get a cover doesn't mean it was a smart bet. Like this is not a, this is not a totally results based game that we're doing here. So this is another one where you're either, you should play Charlotte or you should pass. That doesn't mean North Carolina can't cover because anything can happen in gambling, but there is really no logical or smart gambling explanation for why you lay 30 with North Carolina against a team like Charlotte. And then the last one I have, uh, I don't have a super strong feeling about it, but I, I thought I'd mention it. Marshall playing App State. Uh, they've, they've had the week off. App State looked, they looked okay last week. They looked fine. They won by about 17. They didn't cover. Uh, I think this is an interesting game. Marshall at home catching about four and a half points against an App State team that we know is still good, but maybe not what they were the last couple of years. Marshall won 59 to 0 against a uh, Eastern Kentucky team that's an FCS program that is I mean they're they're nothing special. They're not terrible, but they're not super awesome either. Uh so I don't really know what to make of that score yet. I do think it could be an interesting play, just maybe like one one and a half units on Marshall catching points at home against App State could be interesting. All right, kiddos, get your bets in. Be sure to slide into Chase's DMs if he is wrong on anything, but we're going to assume that he won't be, and we'll be back on Monday with Week 3 notes, talk a little bit more about the Big Ten situation, big picture, elaborate on some stuff that we talk about. We'll also do a brief look ahead to Week 4. Then we'll be back one week from now, next Thursday, the 24th, with the full look ahead to Week 3, some more betting stuff. As always, hit up Chase on Twitter, at ChaseAKitty, for any betting stuff. Myself or the pod for mailbag stuff, at adowdy 88 and at High Motor Pod. Thanks for dropping by. Thanks for making the High Motor Podcast part of your week. We'll see you back here on Monday. I saw a friend today, it had been a while. And we forgot each other's names. But it didn't matter cause deep inside The feeling still remained the same We talked of knowing one before you've met And how you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces in between